Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to episode number 24 of Two Developers Down Under. It is good to be back on a semi-regular schedule. Once again with my freakishly flavorful partner in crime, Kai Koenig. How are you doing today, Kai? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? Uh, it's six, 7 o'clock in the morning and I've got up at 6.30, so... Pleasant, how are you? <laughs> it's not too bad. Freakingly flavorish. That's a good one, actually. Yeah, Interesting. Like, yeah. yeah, I've never actually physically tasted you, but that's how it feels to me in my mind. Oh, you're so lovely. <laughs> awesome. So today is a bit of a special episode again, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, Why is that, Mark? Interesting people with us today, uh, a few speakers from the CF Objective ANZ conference that uh, are going to have a little chat with us. But before we get into that, uh, what interesting things have you found uh, on today's anniversary? Um, I've got three interesting birthdays, actually. Oh, yeah? Um, one is the birthday of a guy called Christopher Robin Milne, and he is... I don't know if you, when you were a child, read the Winnie the Pooh stories. Oh, yeah. He's the Christopher Robin in Winnie the Pooh, basically. Okay. And he was born in 1920. And the other two birthdays, they are maybe a bit more relevant to, you know, IT and web stuff in general. Because um, in 1981, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss were born. Do those names ring a bell? No. They are American Olympic rowers and um, entrepreneurs. Still doesn't ring a bell? Facebook? No. Yeah. They are, the, they are the two, tw- the, the twins, basically, that allegedly started Facebook and then got basically kicked out by Mark Zuckerberg and took him to uh, court. Oh, and, yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah those are my... Yeah, exactly, yep. pretty much. Those are my, you know, things for today. What do you found? What did you find? I've got, a, I've got a few things. Uh, today is the 39th uh, birthday of Sergey Brin, co-founder of Google. Ooh, uh, okay. 26th birthday of Usain Bolt, uh, who I think is still the current uh, world... Uh, has he got this... This. Uh, oh, my God. It is 7 o'clock in the morning. Has the world record for 100-meter sprints. 101st anniversary of Mona Lisa being stolen from the Louvre. Oh, uh, I thought I had one more. Maybe I don't. No, that's it. Okay, so that was a little bit better than last time, maybe, but still not awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, Will Chamberlain, 76th anniversary. Uh, there you go. Cool. Alrighty, American so... <laughs> <laughs> should we get into the topic then? Okay. Well, uh, shall we introduce our uh, people who are waiting in the wings? Waiting in the wings. Yeah. Who do we have? So I think the first one is um, Andrew Mercer. Hello, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. Then we've got Justin McLean on the next seat on the bench. Hey, ah, Justin. Good morning. And last but not least, Richard Turner Jones from Brisbane. Good morning. Hello. So, how we're going to do this is basically, I think we'll give everyone a chance to introduce themselves quickly, and then we're going to have a bit of a chat about your, your talks. This is all okay? Yep. Can I just jump in with the anniversaries there? Oh, sure oh, you yeah, can. You've got one. Uh, today's the anniversary of the birth of my lovely wife. So, big Aww. happy birthday, Susan. Woohoo! Happy birthday, happy Susan. Happy birthday. <laughs> now, will she actually be listening to the podcast? Oh, live. Yep. Oh, she's, she's sitting next to you or something. <laughs> five, five o'clock in the morning? No. no. So straight after this, I'll be cooking breakfast. Uh, oh, lovely. Nice. Well, Andrew, why don't, why don't you tell us a little about yourself since you're, uh, you, you've interjected here. Okay. Um, so for myself, I've been doing like a web development since back in 96 when I first discovered Cold Fusion looking around for something to pull data out of the corporate database and put it on a web page with some links. Um, that's what I first discovered CFML and I, I stopped looking at that point. And this is pure power and ease just to you know, send out emails and everything. I was just totally stoked with all that. Um, so and then shortly after that, discovered some frameworks like Fusebox 2 and, and then um, for the CMS for Far Cry, 
from um, Damon in Australia. Um, loved it so much, got actively involved with the community and became a, a Cold Fusion user manager. Did that for a few years. But currently, I'm the Australian community manager for RILO. It's a volunteer position, which I'm still currently doing. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Okay, cool. Thanks a lot. Um, what What would you say your you know day to day work looks like? Is it pretty much coding all the all the time? Yeah, I'm, I'm a web developer at Patterson's. It's a stock breaking firm based in Perth, now Australia wide. Uh, we're predominantly using Far Cry for the um, front facing websites, and internally I use Framework One and um, and Wheels for little um, internal projects. Okay. Cool. So, should we move on to the next person, Justin? No, we don't hear here from Justin. I talk far too much. So, Justin, tell us a little about yourself. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm Justin. I think most people in the Cold Fusion community in Australia would know me. I've been involved in Cold Fusion um, uh, since the beginning, basically. Uh, version 1.5 was the first version that I used. Uh, it came on three floppies, believe it or not. So, I don't think they, they exist anymore, floppy drawings. Uh, anyway, so I run my own uh, consulting business. Um, I do uh, Flex and Cold Fusion development. Um, I also run training courses in Flex and Cold Fusion. Um, and I've recently been involved in a few other things. I've got a bit more involved in the in open hardware space, um, playing around with Adreno and uh, also with um, some Android development, which is what my, my session at Safe Objective is going to be on. Okay. How do you find doing doing Flex currently after all the changes Flex has, has gone through, you know, after last year, November, basically? Uh, it's it's still the majority of my work. Um, okay. I'm, I was actually, I'm actually on uh, the Flex, Apache Flex board, and I'm a committer for Apache Flex. Mm-hmm. I was the, the first external person to be accepted. Okay. Um, but yeah, as far as my day-to-day work goes, I haven't seen any major changes. Uh, I do tend to work on internal uh, applications rather than public-facing websites or web applications. So that's you know that may be a factor. Yeah, that might make a difference. That's interesting, actually. We should have a bit of a chat about your involvement with the Flex community when we talk about your session as well, and how you know how Flex on mobile and Air on mobile pans into that nowadays. Yeah, sure. Cool. And um, the third guest is Richard Turner Jones. So, how about you introduce yourself, Richard? Uh, Good morning. Um, Yeah, I've been. I guess a multimedia web developer now for about 17 years. Um, started off both Macromedia and Adobe Technologies. Um, worked on both front end and back end. So I dabble in Cold Fusion, but um, mainly I guess front end with Flex, uh, Flash, and the like, and, and obviously web technologies, uh, which is also why my presentation this year is on uh, PhoneGap. So basically bridging the uh, the HTML JavaScript world into the mobile world. So, um, yeah, I also uh, look after the communities in Brisbane, so the Brisbane uh, Flash Interactive User Group and the Creative Suite User Groups. So, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in the communities where you get a lot of your good talent from. You start there and train them up. So, um, try to put back in into um, into there. And uh, as some of you may know, I've actually just recently started working with Adobe Australia uh, about four months ago. So I'm a solutions consultant, uh, you know, hired gun sort of thing without being hired, to go in and, and basically show how the technology can work in um, organizations and, and run demos and the like. So uh, it's been pretty exciting. So basically, if you have a problem with Adobe, come to Richard. Yep, that's what I get a lot. <laughs> yeah, so my wife always complains that in the top, like the top left corner of the toolbar in Photoshop, if you click it, it takes you to the Adobe site. Can you do something about that? That drives me mental. Is is this in uh, Mac OS? No, this is uh, actually that's a good question. Originally in Windows, now she's using a Mac. Uh, I can't remember. Oh my god, um, you, you've got a Mac at home, Mark? Yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe it's it. It's true. I don't have it. It's for my wife. Hey, look, I, I converted. I actually, I now actually own two iPads. So you know, I'm I'm solely 
being drawn to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, it happened a little while ago. It 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 lowers her frustration levels, which in turn lowers my frustration levels. So. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean that's that's one of the reasons why I changed to macOS because it lowers it lowered my frustration levels massively. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that, Kai. Unfortunately, it also lowers my bank account levels a bit too with IG. <laughs> oh, come on. You're, you're a highly paid corporate consultant now, Richard. Come on. <sighs> Who has two, two oh. mortgages? So give me a line. <laughs> According to my wife, I'm the support person for any website. If anything goes wrong, why, why doesn't this work? Yeah, yeah it happens sometimes. <laughs> All right, well, that all so, sounds really good. Um, now that we know who's actually here, besides ourselves, um, should we have a little bit of a chat about your guys' talks for the objective and the, the different topics you're going to cover? So AJ, when I look at our schedule, your topic is going to be called Work, Rest and Play. Yep. Do you want to... I mean, I have the feeling it has to do with REST web services or REST services in the first place. But do you want to m- maybe briefly talk about what you're going to um, speak about in your session? Yeah, so the session is work, rest, and play, covering the three areas I'm going to cover. Uh, the first part being work. So you've already got yourself a domain model, all your business logic tied up in persistence. I know you want to share that work with the world. I came through to this when I was looking at jQuery plugins like um, sortable tables and, and charts that can consume JSON and XML. And I wanted some sort of framework or method to organize all that and um, produce it. So i would seen and heard about REST, so I've been digging into that and I'm, I really I really like it. So the whole uh, concept of this is um, how to produce your REST and then consuming it. And for the um, consuming part, I'll be looking at like a jQuery and Angular JS, how to consume the REST services, not just like getting data, but also um, sending it back to the server. So th- yeah, so that's the um, the session in a nutshell. Okay, um, it's quite interesting that you decided to dedicate a whole talk to the REST idea. Do you find or do you think REST is has become the dominant model for service delivery or web service delivery in the web now compared to you know web services with soap and soap over xml yeah, and stuff like it that definitely it definitely does seem to be i don't know if trendy is the right word but it's popular so compared to like west uh, like um the soap services what people are currently using in cold fusion now cfml is they say is um soaps easy to implement hard to use REST was hard to implement but easy to use. But now that um, Adobe and Arilo, the, the latest releases, have REST incorporated, it's a lot easier now. And I'll be covering that. But beforehand, we had Adam uh, Tuttle's uh, Taffy framework to do REST. Yeah. And that that was very good. And there's um, frameworks also so they have modules or side parts that can produce REST. The thing... With REST, according to the the, the, um, the theoretical document written by Roy Fielding, is it's, it's very hard to understand and quite deep, and it means a lot of things to a lot of people. So there'll be a lot of people that, that tell you you're doing it wrong. But it's quite a hard to find out how to do it right. It's not actually a standard. It's not a framework. It's it's like a bunch of ideas and and um, conventions that when all works, you get it all together. It works really well. There's nothing super special about REST. It's what we've been doing on HTML or HTTP the whole time. It's um, data over the, the internet protocol. And HTML at the moment is essentially is gets and puts. REST is is more than that. I read some uh, posts, sorry. Gets and posts. Whereas um, REST has a lot more like puts and deletes and options and trace and head. You can do a whole lot more. But... Uh, the whole mechanism is what we've been using the whole time with HTTP. There's nothing actually new about it. It's just more documented. Yeah, I was going to ask that actually because a lot of people normally think like HTTP is get and post, right? But there are mm-hmm. all those other HTTP verbs 
that yeah. in rest have actually a very deep semantic meaning from what I from what I personally know. Um, yeah. I mean, put and delete is kind of kind of self-explaining from my point of view. But what mm. are the you know options and trace and those things for? Okay, so there's two types. Um, I hope it gets the word right. Imp impotent. So there's a call you can do over and over again that won't affect the data. So like you can get as many times as you like. That won't change anything. Mm -hmm. Given a resource ID, which is the rest is about, for a resource ID one, you can delete that as many times as you want and it'll only do it once, obviously. It's not there the second time. Mm -hmm. The others, um, put and post, will actually create or update data. Mm -hmm. so essentially, they map to you to the CRUD. So if you do a post, if you've got a blog and you post a comment and you keep posting, posting, that will give you a new comment each time, whereas a put will only do it once and it sort of more ties into the update. Mm -hmm. Okay, like an upset sort of deal. Yeah, it's not it's not a 100% match because you can do a put and it will create a resource if it doesn't exist, but next mm. time it will stay the same. Okay. You can do that as many times as you like. Yeah, so there's... So I'll be going through that in my talk, what it makes up a good REST service and what doesn't and what people think they're doing as a RESTful service isn't quite. It might be partially, it's not half, it's like halfway there, but it's not the whole lot. And that's where I get into like the theoretical pit and where people tell you you're absolutely wrong, but it's pretty hard to find out how to do it right. Okay. But now our favorite CFML engines have come along and implemented it. It's taken a lot of that hard work out. And... Some of it's just, just repetitive. So sort of hard, not hard, hard, but it's repetitive hard. Um, as you've just mentioned, the CFML engines. Um, I assume you've played with both REST implementations in Rhino four and in ColdFusion ten. Yeah. Um, is there is there a difference in in those implementations, or are they pretty much doing a very similar thing? So the way they're implemented, they're um, using the CF components, just like um, SOAP services do, where you say access equals remote, and all of a sudden your CFCs out to the world. Mm -hmm. There's some new attributes that have been added. Both so Adobe ColdFusion 10 came out with them first, so Rilo wanted to be compatible, has followed those standards. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's um, so it's still in development. Rilo 4 is in beta. And as I understand it, there's um, we're gonna. There might be more functionality in there, like additional functionality. Yeah, like okay. in a return um, binary data. So you, so the JSON can come out or XML, but it can be binary. It's like right. faster. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so what would that binary serialization be done done in basically? It's a Java byte uh, byte dream, I think it was. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah, that sounds. So that's using something like Beeson or, or JSONP yeah, or something like that's, that even? That's on my to-do list to look into. Well, it's not implemented yet, so... Okay. Being on the community team, I get some inside information. Getting the, that's, yeah. the inside track here. Yeah, so that's something to look forward to, and I'll be investigating that. Okay. I've got an interesting question for Justin and Richard on that. Um, because... Both of you guys having done flex and flash development or still doing it in the you know that using that technology, how do you find dealing with rest services from that point of view because the flash player has a few really annoying limitations when it comes to doing HTTP calls right yeah I mean there are definitely issues um, with HTTP calls and flash. Um, I mean, there are ways around it. I actually have a, a bit more of a, I'm a, more of a, um, a web services person, I have to say. And one of the issues why I like REST uh, quite a bit, and it's it's simple, it seems to push, in a lot of cases, it just pushes the problem further up into the client software. Whereas uh, with web services, you can you can actually get a, a, you know, a lot done and have um, a, an interface that's more well-defined rather than just adding, deleting, changing objects. You're also talking about sort of your object translation and things like that. When, when dealing with web services, quite often you'll get back object types that map to data structures that are defined in the web service, whereas with REST, you kind of have to roll that yourself. 
Yeah, but can I just chime in here? Because I'm a, you know, I'm like reasonably anti-soap web services nowadays. And <laughs> I've seen um, you present on it, I remember. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for a few years, basically. Because, I mean, what you basically just said with, you know, soap allows you to define your own data types and, you know, makes it a bit more comfortable. That is the big problem of soap, right? Because, um, yeah, as long as you stay, you know, within Java or within .NET or within Cold Fusion, that is all fine and fun and, you know, nice to do. But if you want to build a truly cross-platform web service with custom data types, it's just, you know, still madness. You know, like we are in 2012, whatever, 10 years after SOAP web services came out, and it's still not solved in a way that it works cross-platform nicely. So it's kind of like if you stay if you stay inside the walled garden, everything is okay. But as soon as you step outside, it's when you get in trouble. Sorry, yeah. Justin, I think I interrupted you. Yeah, no, that's fine. Mike. Um, and, and look, I sort of agree with that too. That, that um, I mean, what a lot of services do is actually provide uh, both soap and rest. So you know, you end that's up having both worlds. Mm-hmm. What my impression is, and correct me if I'm wrong, there. The more, you know, hipster and trendy some sort of an app is, the more likely it's going to use REST or provide REST APIs. The more corporate and the more enterprise it is, the more likely you will see WSDL, so web services. Yeah, that's fair to say. Okay, so everyone agrees with me. That's, you know, quite rare. Wow. (laughs) Unbelievable. I disagree, just on principle. (laughs) Okay. What's your opinion, Mark? My opinion is is that, Justin, what are you presenting on? <laughs> <laughs> nice save. Changing the subject quickly. <laughs> I think it was a very smooth segue. I've been working on my presentation skills. <laughs> so, Justin, I believe you're doing Android application development with Java. I am indeed. I am indeed. There's, um, I'm you know, reasonably new to uh, uh, this topic, uh, but um, I thought I'd try it for something different. So uh, what my session is going to be on is we'll, we'll look at a, a real application and I'll go through uh, the process in how it was created and sort of any issues or problems that we ran into along the way. And uh, we'll look at the, the people who are new to Android and uh, development and Java. Um, what are sort of some of the issues and problems you run into there? You know, things from differences in, in languages, you know, um, for example, if you're used to, you know, JavaScript or ActionScript, um, not having default parameters in Java may trip you up a little bit, um, and you know, method overloading might might sort of confuse you, and the um, huge number of array and collection classes inside Java, for for instance, is, is is always a bit of a stumbling block. You know, exactly where where you use one over the other. Uh, so anyway, we'll we'll go through that, find out. You know, show how the, the application structure works and a bit into the Android frame uh, lifecycle. Um, and then finally, I'll get on to one of my, my favorite subjects, which is on um, physical hardware and um, actually accessing sensor information from on, on phones. So, you know, playing around with the, the gyroscope and, and things like that. That sounds really cool. Um, this probably isn't actually pertinent to your talk, but I'm curious anyway because it's sort of more of my interest. Like, um, I'm doing a lot of stuff with things like JRuby, for example, um, and in the previous previous world, sort of Groovy as well. Have you played around with using sort of um, JavaScripting languages? So any of those like Groovy, JRuby, Jython, any of those on top of the Android stack? Because obviously it runs Java, so in theory those should run as well. I haven't. Sorry. <laughs> well, that was really okay. Fair enough. I've, I've read <laughs> an article. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I've read an article about some guys using Scala for Android development recently. I am. Yeah. But that was just pretty much a showcase in explaining you know some basic steps like what to do and how to do it. But not yeah, I think really. I read something recently about JRuby being used on Android development as well. Um, yeah. Seems like people might be stepping in that direction. I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, I. The, I Thinking there would be some issues along those lines, just because of the way that the the application lifecycle works, um, and that you know the those sort of languages are not really designed for that. But it certainly would be possible. I, I wonder. I mean, I don't think you can write a, a full app in Scala or JRuby. 
and run it on Android, but you can probably you know easily write some custom classes or certain parts of your business logic, and then okay, why not? Why yeah. don't you think you could write your full app? I mean, I have no knowledge uh, about the Android lifecycle and, and you no know, knowledge about the SDK. I, I don't know. I you know, it should work. I, I've got the SDK installed, basically, and I wonder if your entry point into the into the Android app has to be done the way the Android app actually... An Android app has to be built with, you know... If you want to nicely with the rest of the applications and, and you know, actually have some battery life, then yes, you do. <laughs> So, but as long as you can implement the right interfaces and access the right APIs, then you should be fine, shouldn't you? Yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. I'm. It's just a gut feeling that I would say I probably would build at least the wrapper with you know whatever Android SDK and Java prescribes me, and then use a different language to you know build certain parts of my app, which may, might or might not work better than. Well, there are, there are a lot of other languages that, that actually do that and, you know, get packaged up as native apps in one form or another. So I'd say it's probably possible. Have you done um, any Android development with Flex before yes, you yes. moved into the into the Android native world? Yeah, and well, uh, in fact, the um, uh, CF Objective ANZ schedule app is written in Flex. Ah, true, yeah. yes. And it's actually cross-platform with iOS and Flex. Yeah, it is indeed, and that's and that is one of the you know the compelling reasons for using frameworks such as Flex uh, on uh, for mobile devices is because you don't have to write two apps. It's ninety percent of your code is the same across across each. I mean, each each of the different platforms have their own user interfaces and their own way of doing things, and you sort of have to go along with that. So you can't exactly have the same interface on each one. Because you know the users are not used to that. It's it's like oh this doesn't look like an iPhone app or this doesn't look like an Android app. Um, but that, that, for, you know, for most things, that using those sort of frameworks are, are, are fine. Uh, it's if if you need performance and if you need uh, access to you know some of the latest APIs or you know you're dealing with phone sensors and things like that, you you really have to write it in a native way. I don't I don't think there's any real way around that mm, okay um that is a leading a bit off topic but i'm just interested when you actually wrote the cf objective scheduler apps so mm -hmm. did you end up actually having two separate projects and then you basically you know compile project a to an android app project b to an ios app and they just share another library project or something like that or how have you set that up uh, they are two separate projects, but they're, they're uh, sorry, they're two, two separate applications in the same project. Is how, is how I've set that up. Ah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and it, it is about um, uh, it, it, it's more than ninety percent of the code that's that's common. Um, there's like on Android, there was some extra code involved for um, involving playing around with menus. Um, I I guess. I not cheated a bit, but um, there's an open source uh, library called Eskimo, uh, which gives you uh, sort of skinning that looks like both platforms. So I used that to help me a little bit, so I didn't have to do too much UI and design work. Okay. Um. I even I even made a, actually there's more than two applications in there from memory. There's um there's also some tab I made some tablet apps which have some side by side views rather than a, a single page view. Oh okay, cool. Did we publish those last year for the conference? No, we didn't publish them last year. Yeah, I might do it this year. We'll see, see yeah, how we go. Maybe we should actually because tablets are much more widespread nowadays than mm. last year. Yeah. That's interesting. So when we I just want to, we'll come back to the Android element a little bit, I think. But I just want to take the chance to ask Richard about, you know, like those bridging technologies to build mobile apps that we just talked about with Flex for Android and iOS. Because Richard is talking about um, phone, using PhoneGap for mobile app development, right? So, and that is sort of a similar thing but basically just using web standards to build an app, right? That's Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the, the issue that, that Justin's probably come up and everyone else has is that you've got to learn Objective-C and Java and, you know, all the other languages. 
So um, the beauty of PhoneGap is if, if you've learnt HTML and JavaScript and CSS, then we wrap around that. That then provides that uh, layer to talk to your iOS device or, uh, you know, Windows Phone or, or, or Android device. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's one less... <laughs> one less language to learn or a bunch of languages to learn. So um, from my point of view, it's it's much easier. Um, and the video phone gap, the the technology is that, you know, it also provides a, a way into the, the features of the, of the phone, like getting into the camera or, you know, or the accelerometer or the, you know, geolocation tools or, or, or what have you. So, um, yeah, and, and, and I, I've also have dabbled in the, um, the Flex stuff as well, you know, building an app with Flex, uh, into um, Android, etc. So you know, it's it's not too dissimilar, but as I said, it's it's just taking you know that web, web technology, web tech, and uh, making it a lot easier to end up with a device either on a you know a tablet or a phone. Um, let me ask you, maybe just an end to you actually an interesting question, right? Because Adobe was kind of behind both Flex for mobile or, you know, compiling from Flex to mobile and PhoneGap. But Adobe has now clearly changed focus to massively push PhoneGap as a platform and push web standard as a platform in general, whereas the focus is quite a bit off Flash and Flex nowadays, at least when we talk about applications. What I'm kind of interested in is with new phones and new features and phones coming out all the time, what is going to happen for with Flex for mobile? Because that application compilation process is kind of tied into Adobe's Flex framework, right? What's going to happen with Apache Flex and mobile? Is Adobe going to you know continue to support that end of Flex in some way? Well, from what my understanding is, obviously the the deployment from Flex to mobile is reliant on Air, and the Air runtime is still under constant development. So I think Air 3.4 is in beta up on labs at the moment. So, um, you know, it's got iOS 5.1 support, um, and they keep adding, you know, features. Um, I'm just checking the website. Um, support for native extensions in iOS. Um, so if you want to build features that aren't part of the core package, um, they can be done using both C++ and Objective-C. So, I mean, it is relied on the community to create those those plugins, but it does allow the language to continue on both iOS and, of course, the, the native extensions work on Android as well. Um, so, you know, that it is being constantly updated, I guess, for want of a better word. So um, Justin can probably speak from the from the the Apache side of things, so I'll, I'll hand it over to him. Yeah, I mean, Adobe is still supporting Air, and there are, you know, there's been, as you said, 3.4 is up on Labs and will be out soon, and 3.3 was released a few months ago, and they've got a quite an aggressive schedule with updates to the Flash Player as well, so the the one issue I do see is that the, uh, the design and UI styles of mobile operating systems are changing over time. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the latest UI guidelines for uh, jelly bean are, you know, different to ice cream sandwich, for example. And and with the fast uh, updates of the OS, like every year Google's going to put out a new operating system, it's it's hard for frameworks to to try and keep up with that. But that is certainly a problem that hits the web standards and PhoneGap world as well, right? Because yeah, even, yeah, even if I use some... I mean both Flex and yeah. PhoneGap, it's even or if any I, other technology as well. Yeah, even if I use something like jQuery Mobile or Sentia Touch, they will yeah. at some point have to keep up and catch up with UI developments on the operating system side of things. On, on and Android, you're, you're, there's one favor because the um, uh, telcos and uh, phone manufacturers are slow, so slow. <laughs> 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 by, the, by the time it comes around, you know, it's, it's you're sorted. <laughs> hey, Mark, have you got your Android 4 update, by the way, for your phone? On 4.0, I think, something. Oh, okay. You got finally something from Vodafone. Oh, that came ages ago. All right, fair enough. Yeah, just, just a side note, yeah, both um, 
the Galaxy Note from Vodafone and my um, Android tablet both had the uh, 4.0 uh, ice cream sandwich. It's working fine. Yeah, I've been on 4.0.3 for a few months now at least. Yeah. Cool. Um, talking about... Say, you haven't got your hands on a, a Nexus 7 yet. I really suggest having a play with one. That's a really nice device. I'm I'm still waiting for the small iPad. The <laughs> little. That would be really really nice to have. You mean two hundred and fifty dollars is too much for a, a tablet for you? No, that's not that's not the point really. It's like um, I just don't want to have another device on on Android when all my books and all my media is basically on my on my Apple stack. And I would just love to have a smaller, a smaller iPad or a large iPhone, whatever you, however you want to call it. See, it's weird. The one thing that stops me from getting a Nexus Seven, and this is going to sound really strange, is yeah, all my books and media pretty much run through. I run through Amazon, even though actually I buy them at a bunch of places. I generally uh, manage and track it all through the Amazon Kindle interface, and I've got a Kindle Fire, and the amount of text I can get on a Kindle Fire outsurpasses any other. Uh, device I've seen, including my phone, my 10-inch tablet, um, anything else, because the app's just slightly different and lets you condense it to be a little bit smaller. So I'd like to get an Nexus 7 because it's obviously, especially in Australia, it's going to be a lot more uh, usable. But the amount of text I can get on a screen really makes a difference to my reading experience, so that kind of slows me down. So where did you get the Kindle I, I, I Fire? I don't see why the Kindle app may, may be exactly the same uh, or similar. No, I've got... Um, I had someone actually... Uh, did pictures of side-by-side -side comparisons of both of them on a lower setting, and you get two or three, at least at least, I think it was at least three more lines on the Kindle Fire. Oh, okay. I, I have both. I should have a look. Yeah, have another look. So let, me, let me know if it... Uh, I think also the bevel and the, the sort of margins a little bit yeah. different I mean, as well. The, the Nexus 7 is... is um, the screen is much nicer to look at than the Kindle Fire. It's about half the weight as well. Okay. Because I use my Kindle Fire for reading technical books pretty much all day. Um, and I use the touch one for, not the touch one, the ink one for reading fiction, but being able to flick on a tablet is just so much nicer for technical books. Hmm, okay. Um, can I just come quickly back to the topics of August talks quickly? Um, when we look at building mobile apps either in Android or using phone gaps, a uh, phone gap, what is your you know, stance on like an approach to build the app. Would you build like, for example, in PhoneGap, an app that entirely just runs within the phone wrapper, like you have local HTML pages and local JavaScript, and it's actually connecting out to, for example, a REST service somewhere? Or would you build um, an application that is more like a dynamic web page, but wrapped into an into a native wrapper. For for my part, the first option is normally what I do. So I try to encapsulate everything into the the phone gap. But yeah, make calls to outside web services or or, or you know outside data of some sort. Um, it's a bit tricky sometimes. Like obviously, my key thing is uh, the planning stage. I mean, uh, it's like any building any website or any web. You know, web technology. I've seen so many times people fall down that trap of, let's start throwing interface elements onto the, uh, you know, into Dreamweaver, into uh, Aptana, or whatever their their design tool happens to be, and um, you know, sort of design first, and then oh, let's make it actually do something later on. So um, I, I think no matter what you're building, it is best to step away from the keyboard, and just plan it out as best you can without, you know, writing code, without picking colors, without doing anything like that. Um, it's just my two cents worth, I guess. Um, Justin? Yeah, yeah. You, you basically have to do both. And it's, it's, well, there's two reasons for this. One is how difficult it is to update applications in the App Store. Um, the approval process from Apple can take several weeks. So if you've got a, 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 an issue with your application, you, 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 know, you want to make it so it's easily updatable. And the best way to do that is to have... Uh, you know, some sort of calls, remote calls in there to go up and get the latest, latest data to display. 
Um, uh, the other thing is that you, you, you have to have the data inside there as well because you're not always going to have an internet connection or the internet connection can be slow over you know, 3G connections and, and the rest. So unfortunately, you have to do both. Okay, that's an interesting point because... The CF schedule does exactly that, by the way. The, um, it basically has some XML and that's baked into the application and then um, if it's got an internet connection, it'll, it'll go off and get the, it, the newest one if it exists. Okay. Because it's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, super. Um, AJ, from your experience working with REST services in your in your work day, have you guys mm-hmm. built any mobile apps? Um, not apps. No, we've gone for websites that render in mobile devices, like the responsive design route. Uh, okay, so you haven't you haven't got a Pedersen's app in in an app store or something like that. No, no, we're going to stay away from that. What triggered, this, yeah, what triggered that decision to, to, to stay away from building an app versus, like, you know, building a mobile website? Yeah, the, the main thing was is messing around with markets. We don't think we'd better sell our products. There's no need to monetize it. And we've got hmm. the website's technology all, all set up nicely. So the next design, the site we're working on currently, is a responsive design that will work at the moment from seven inch tablets up and then I'll tackle the four inch sort of size devices. Mobile phones are sort of a different what different usage than bigger devices. You don't generally I I would say you don't browse websites on a phone, you just want information. So what you actually present to the phone would be different from a, a standard website. Yeah, you you're probably right. You are probably looking for a much more targeted solution for a phone mm-hmm. than just browsing a website. That's probably yep. correct. So have you? So where where is your office? Where's the closest office and things like that? Or, but would you um, still you know for for Pedersons, for example, would you still consider building an app like mobile site for a phone, or maybe go into an app store with an app for for phones specifically? Uh, so yeah, so the the, the public facing websites is more information than CMS sort of sold sites, probably not. But there's the client website where they log on to. That next version of that will be built as a web application versus distinct from a website. Mm-hmm. And in that case, yeah, so they'll be using most likely Angular JS, using the single page architecture. Yeah. So it, it's a website that runs like an application. So again, I don't see any need to build an app. Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. And it's it's and that's very data centric. It's not an application you download it once and you've got everything you need. It's like looking up um, stock prices, your portfolio valuation. It's all live data that changes. So essentially, the app is just a um, is a, a wrapper or we call it Chrome. It doesn't actually do anything for you. It's just enough to get the new data. Yeah. Which I'll be delivering up using REST web services. Ah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> cool. That is really good. Um, Mark, yes. Any comment on any of the mobile stuff? I know you're not really deeply into mobile technology or mobile development at this stage. Gee, that stuff sounds cool. <laughs> you would love to do it, right? <laughs> yes, I'm really upset. I don't do more front-end development. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hear how serious you are about that. I think I think the mobile, you know, mobile web development has become quite exciting to be honest, you know. I'm, it's interesting. I'm I got into back more and more into that like maybe a year one and a half years ago and I think it's it's quite cool and quite nice there's to do There's definitely a huge market there and there's there's a lot of stuff that's going on there that's interesting. I just don't seem to be going in that direction with the stuff that I'm doing, which is fine. Someone's got to power the rest web services to provide all the data to the mobile apps. Ah, uh, okay. So that's the real work. Yes. That's you're going to be. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, fair understand. enough. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So we've been talking for about 45 minutes now. Should we wrap it up for today? Okay. Uh, do we want to mention Justin's application uh, uh, workshop? Yeah, we should totally do With that. Small plug. Yeah, that's a good, that is a good idea, actually. Justin, you're doing a full-day workshop at CF Objective, I've heard. <laughs> yes, I am. I am on Android uh, development. 
strangely enough. Okay. okay. You want to give a quick rundown on what it is that you're going to be doing, doing during the day, what people can expect? I will just go through and create, a, create an app from scratch, um, you know, show some of the issues that you run into, how you deal with fragmentation, and how, uh, you know, there's lots of different Android devices out there, um, how to properly unit test stuff, how to, uh, and, you know, just a few things that you may not be aware of that are different in mobile development from other, other styles of development. Um, the content is actually going to be loosely based off a, a book that I'm writing. Oh, tell us about the book. Go on. All right. So uh, the book is called uh, Learning Android Development. It's um, Addison Wesley, if you, if you know them, big US publisher. They've uh, done some of the more, I guess, classic uh, programming books over the years, like... Um, uh, the Gang of Four book, uh, Mythical Man Month. Um, I think the original C plus plus book. So I'm looking forward to writing that. Cool, cool. cool. Keep us keep us updated. Hmm. So the the course will be a um, a sneak peek of the contents of the book, really. Ooh, uh. Okay, cool. That sounds good. That sounds really good. What do people need to know when they want to attend your workshop? In terms of you know pre-existing knowledge and experience? Uh, well, they obviously have to be interested in programming, but I think that's a, that's a given. Um, I'm just starting from the ground up, so you, know, you don't need to be a Java programmer or anything along those lines. Uh, we'll have lots of sample files and things that you can, you can play with or, or, you know, if need be. Oh, I'm not sure I can do that or how to do that. I'll cheat and just take the solution. Okay, so people should have some programming experience and programming, they need some programming experience. And um, if, if it's Java, it certainly use, helps, I would how, assume. How to use Eclipse would definitely help, but again, not essential. Uh, I think most people these days use some Eclipse IDE in their development. Would that be true for, the, for everyone here? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that is some sort of fair to say in a way. Yeah. At least and, people and have need- some experience with a platform, most likely. And they'll need to bring a, um, a mobile phone, though I will have a couple of spares with me. Oh, I seem okay. to be collecting them at a large rate at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so every second conference you attend, you get a new mobile phone as a gift or something. Yeah, unfortunately, they always seem to be Blackberries. <laughs> <laughs> and then particularly Blackberries that just work in US networks, right? Okay. Friends yeah, don't that's let the friends, one. Use, friends don't let friends use Blackberries. <laughs> <laughs> So, cool. AJ, you wanted to uh, mention the, um, there's an expression of interest for Railo sysadmin training? Yeah, so as uh, Railo are the platinum sponsors for the conference this year, Mark Drew and Gert Franz will be most likely coming over. And whilst they're here, I'd like to take the opportunity to use their expertise and set up a Railo server administration uh, training course. So, if anyone would be interested in that, if they could send me an email, andrew at getrilo.org. And if we've got enough numbers, we can make that happen. What Sounds is great. sort of the minimum number of people you'd need for that? Uh, six to eight. Okay. Okay. Cool. And it would be in Melbourne, I assume? Like yeah, yeah. in the week of CF Objective at some yeah. point? Directly before or after. Okay. So that, that covers like the introduction to the Rilo server, a bit of um, CFML syntax, but most people should be up to speed with that. Uh, the installing of it on different uh, platforms like Jetty, Resin, Tomcat, both Windows and uh, Linux. Uh, setting up a bit of tuning, uh, optimization, and just walk around the Rilo server and web administrators. So I, I've done the course. It's good fun. Everyone brought their laptop, and we did um, on the last day. We clustered them all. Oh, nice. <laughs> Okay, yeah. cool. That sounds sounds like a good fun. That sounds good. All right, before we wrap up, I've got one question I want to ask everyone. Not including your own session, which session are you particularly excited by on the uh, on the program guide? I'll go um, Okay. Yeah, uh, there's quite a few sessions, actually. Um, I, I, I'm particularly looking forward to getting closure and closures by yourself, Mark. Uh, but I think uh, a couple of the other odd ones... Um, there's uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Scrum, uh, Matt Hobson. That looks interesting. I want to know more about that. Uh, the session by Gavin on refactoring monsters into plush toys. I just like the title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great title. <laughs> and um, also Dale's session on the ugly truth about frameworks. Ooh. Yeah. 
I'm, cool. I'm, I'm all for, for it. I, I think I think people use flame, frameworks the wrong way quite often. Ah, interesting. So, um, I have spoken a couple of times about the danger of using frameworks as well. So I'd like to see how that compares to what I've done, and um, maybe we can compare notes. <laughs> AJ? Yeah, I'm really keen to see both yourself and uh, Kai's closure sessions. And there's also one on uh, solar we'll take a look at. Hmm, cool. Richard? Um, well, once again, the closure is something I'm not very up on, so I want to find more information. I'm actually a big fan of the um, the non-techies and the agile stuff, so um, actually I get a lot of info out of those particular ones. And uh, just as you said, more of interest in the else that the uh, turning, was it, monsters and plus toys Refactoring monsters into plush toys. Yeah, just the, the titles. Yeah, they had me at the titles, so I'm just more keen to see what that's like. <laughs> cool. Um, I mean, we, Mark and I, we talked about our favorite sessions or the favorite titles of all the sessions already last time. But what I, I'm just looked. I was just looking through the program again, and what I realized another very very interesting one. I think will be using. Um, uh, engines with Confusion from Mike Brunt. Yeah. Um, that could be quite interesting because I've never seen that combination of, of tools and technologies to be to be used together. Mm. That should be quite interesting as well. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, quick rundown. AJ, if anyone wants to contact you, what sort of details can they reach you at? Uh, so, Andrew at webonics.net for email or uh, webonics on Twitter. Anything but Rilo related. Andrew at getrilo.org. Wonderful. Justin? Justin is no longer with us. Sorry, I have a slight Skype issue there. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love this new interface in Skype, how it moves buttons around on you when you try and click on them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thank Microsoft. So, if people want to contact you, Justin, yeah. what's if the best way of doing me, that? You can contact me, uh, Justin, at classsoftware.com, and on Twitter, I'm Justin McLean. Wonderful. And Richard? Uh, the, the short, easy one is uh, Turner Joe, T U R N E R J O, at adobe.com, and um, I'm on Twitter at, at Richard underscore TJ. Wonderful. As per usual, you can always reach me at www.compoundtheory.com and on Twitter as Neurotic. And obviously the podcast is at 2ddu.com, as you should know because you're listening. Kai? Yes, my Twitter account is Agent K. Email is Kai at ventigo-creative-co-nz. Or have a look at my you know, newly redeployed blog, blogginblack.de. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's back online after a month of hiatus and server errors. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Alrighty. Thanks a lot, guys, for joining us this morning. Um, I know for AJ in particular, it was 5 a.m. when we started um, Western Australian time. So that is quite an achievement and quite a good effort to get up so early. Um, and I guess we are going to deliver a few more speaker interviews in the ne over the next few weeks. And we hope yep. to see many of you at CF Objective ANZ in Melbourne later this year. Right, Mark, do you want to say a final word before we close down for the morning? Final words. Oh, that was it. Okay, <laughs> so it. that's it, guys. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll talk to you soon in a few days. See you later. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. See ya.